stories open our mind and world to possibilities, opportunities and realities. Some stories inspire you, some stories define you. Some stories create you, some stories nurture you. Some stories pose the questions, some stories provide the answers. Some stories take you to a dream world, some stories bring you back to the real world. Welcome to the podcast StoryPod with Nishila. In this show, you can tune into stories from amazing people across the world. Through these stories, you will listen to ideas that matter, real world insights and positive inspiration. I am Nishila Murthy Kaushik, Chief Marketing Officer at HFS and your host for this podcast. In the series The Shiro Diaries, you will listen to stories of women leaders across the globe, their personal life and career journey, choices and decisions which influence them, and reflections from these experiences. Are you ready for stories that can change your life? My guest for today's podcast is Ronnie Michael. Ronnie is currently a partner in KPMG Israel. She joined KPMG Israel in 2002 and over the years has held several leadership positions within the Israeli practice. Since 2014, Ronnie has been KPMG Israel's head of innovation, leading the technology consulting practice and driving development of KPMG Israel's data and analytics, digital, cyber and cloud practices. As of July 2021, she is the global head of innovation for KPMG. So welcome to the podcast Ronnie. I'm honestly excited to have this conversation and looking forward to what I can learn and hear from you as we talk through the podcast. Thank you so much Nichelle. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. In the first segment Ronnie what which I call Know the Shiro, we talk a little bit about backstories around the influence of family, upbringing, your education and your career journey. We also dwell a little on forward looking stories on where you're headed into the future. I usually start the segment with getting to know you in a fun and interesting way beyond what I just read at the start of the podcast. So if you had to describe yourself with four adjectives starting with the letters of your name Ronnie, what would they be and why? Um okay, great question. So um well luckily my name, you know, is an Elizabeth so it's something so it's very short. Uh Okay, well, are I would say definitely um real. Um I I consider myself a very authentic person. Um uh, I really tend to wear my heart on my sleeve. Um and that really makes me create very unique uh work relationships and relationships in in general. Um so that would be for R. I would be uh probably optimistic. I think people around me are <laughs> always surprised at how optimistic I am. Uh but I truly believe that things uh, work out for the best and and in fact i often find that they eventually do and is super um <laughs> difficult i would say not neat i am probably the messiest person i know myself um i'm a terrible i'm a terrible mess i'm terrible to live with as well um <laughs> and i would i would definitely say intuitive um there is uh, you know so much research today around how our instincts and our gut feelings tell us so much so i really do try to listen to that uh, probably in every aspect of my life in my 
career in my parenthood, the way that I eat, exercise and, and live basically and everything that I do. That's wonderful. I like real, I like optimistic and I like um, intuitive. They're all powerful <laughs> words, I think, for anybody when if that's how you look at yourself, right? That's wonderful. Uh, so Ronnie, I'd like to do a time travel back together into your childhood. Uh, what do you believe was the role of family in the development of your formative years and your belief systems? And hence, uh, what role do you think they played in where you stand today? Uh, well, that's, that's great because I love talking about my family. My family is one of the most important things in my life. It definitely has shaped who I am and, and how I live my life. I grew up in a, in a very close and, and loving family. Um, I have uh, two sisters, um, an older sister and a twin sister, who's very slightly younger than me, and, and a small brother, a young brother, who's, well, I can't say he's small, he's, he's now reaching his soon to be 40. Um, so we were very, very close growing up and we still are. Um, my parents came from very different backgrounds themselves. Um, which really uh, affected their parenthood and the way they brought us up. So, um, you know, my, my dad came from a family where, where it was family first before anything else. And he was the older of six kids. And his dad died when he was uh, 13. When he passed away, my dad took over the role of being the father in the family that really shaped his, his childhood in the early, you know, early years. And um, they, they didn't, they, they lived in a one bedroom apartment, but, but basically, you know, he, he never felt that he was wanting anything except for, from, you know, his family and wishing that his father was there. Um, and, and he was also the first one in his family to pursue an academic education and he went off to study medicine. So that kind of really shaped the, the, our family around that narrative. And my mom came from a family where they weren't that warm, they weren't that close, but she's a very warm person. So she, I think she was really looking for, for, to build a nest, to build that place where she can bring her own beliefs and, and in her world. So I always say my mom's, um, my, my earth where, where I stand on and my dad's the waves. He's like, you know, he's always very emotional, very excited about everything. And it's always family first. And until this day, we're all, you know, 40 and up. And he, they, they insist on having like small family gatherings where it's just them and their own kids just to keep that small family together. Um, so that's really shaped, you know, who I am. Um, I talk to my siblings probably every other day as, as to my mom and dad, and, and we're very, very close. That's wonderful uh, to hear, uh, Ronnie. And I think it's it's also interesting that sometimes it's just that that one um, life circumstance or situation which can change, um, you know, um, the choices you make. And then hence, it just doesn't affect your family, but it affects the whole generation, right? The next series of generations, sure. because what your father did has affected you. And that in turn has probably shaped your thinking. And hence, it's also affecting your boys, right? So Definitely, uh, yes. For sure, it's 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 shaped my myself, my parenthood. Um, I have also affected my 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 husband's you know way of thinking. Yeah. He affected me. Our the generations before us really um, really have a very strong effect on who we are and who our children are in a very strong way. That's wonderful. Um, you spoke a little bit about your father in, and you said that, you know, he made a choice to pursue an education which was in, in the field of medicine. And um, I just feel that, you know, education for anybody, uh, 
you know, is extremely important. And actually, I would call it even a superpower because it opens up opportunities and choices which you never thought were possible uh, without the gift of education. Um, so if you look at your own, your own life and your own education, could you talk through a little bit about, you know, you know, sort of what has your education journey been and how do you feel it has affected your career journey, so to speak? Yeah, well, that's um, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, and I have put some thought to it, you know, throughout my life, because um, just with my father's background, education and, and higher education specifically, that was always, you know, a given. It was a clear path. If you want to accomplish anything in your life, that's just the path you, you have to go through. But I think, you know, a lot along the way, I kind of treated education as, as some kind of a medicine you have to take in order to get stronger, to just to just be able to do what you need to do. I think um, I was very focused on that. Um, I think I gave very little thought to, you know, enjoying what I chose to study. Um, and I do love learning. Um, I just, you know, I, I chose to consume knowledge through my, 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 the, the years that came after my degree, um, just through, um, you know, knowledge outside of the academic institutions. And, and I, I read a lot. I listen to, to podcasts. I, I um, consume so much knowledge outside of academia. So I think um, definitely um, uh, the, the education part of coming from academic an academic institution is super important, but also you really have to look inside and understand what's the best way for you to evolve. And, and the best way to see that is from my 14 year old. Um, so I have two boys, one's 14, the other's 11, soon to be 11. And you know, it's pretty clear to me that this generation will redefine education. They're consuming knowledge at a pace, you know, I never knew was even possible. And, um, and they're both super accomplished and they're so young. And my 14 year old is already talking to me about, to, you know, should I pursue an academic career? What life has to offer for me is being self-taught. Um, I strongly believe that you have to go to smarter and more educated people to, to learn. I think the way to do that is slightly changing. That's nice, uh, Ronnie. Uh, you know, and, and I've been doing this multiple episodes of this podcast. I think the one universal thread that I'm seeing with all my guests, uh, and they're all women, is that continuous learning is important. Uh, and the second thing, which even you seem to very strongly echo, is that uh, while there is value and merit in formal learning through an institute, uh, I think being open to just learning from experience, from people, from other avenues like books, podcasts, content is is equally important, right? So, uh, you know, you need to you need to kind of give it a priority and see how you can absorb the information. Uh, and it seems like you're also learning from your boys, so <laughs> I think oh, that's wow. important. Uh, I I am. <laughs> And I would, when I, when I talk about this, you know, with, with uh, my family, with my friends and with the people that I work with, um, I often talk about inspiration. Um, so, you know, learning, it sounds so heavy. Um, it, it, I, there is a huge value in learning, but there's also very great value in inspiration. And when I say inspiration, I also mean that you have to constantly keep an open mind. Um, I think science is changing. The world is changing. If we continue to look at it the same way that it was looked at, you know, 150, 10 years ago, one year ago, everything is changing. So constantly be open to the fact that you don't only have to open yourself to new experiences, but also realize that truth 
is not stagnatic. It changes. So reality also changes. That's interesting and very insightful. Um, you know, I'd like to shift the focus now from learning and education to work and careers. Yeah. Uh, so I'd like to talk a little bit about your own career journey. I know it's been a long, uh, you know, uh, journey. And I think you're the first person I'm interviewing in this podcast was from Israel. So I'm also, you know, interested in knowing how uh, the location has also maybe, you know, shaped some of yeah. your choices and decisions um, with respect to with respect to career, because um, I think it's important where you live also plays a role, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, uh, whether you accept it or not, it does affect, you know, the choices you can make. So I hmm. um, would love to hear a little bit about your career journey and what are some of the key decisions and highlights that you're especially proud of? Well, sure. I, I'd love to talk about that. Um, and I will think about the, the location uh, angle, which I haven't given a lot of thought to. So, so let me start by saying, if you look at my CV, first thing you'll see is I've been with KPMG for 19 years. That's a lot of time. So um, why don't I just talk about what happened before I joined KPMG? And that's really interesting because I did start working at a very young age. I was just determined to be not only independent, but to control my own reality. So I was already working as a teenager. You know, I paid um, my, my tuition. Um, I basically provided for myself for, from a very young age. And um there's um, there's that sense of you know allowing yourself to make your own decisions. I guess also not having to report to anyone about not the money side, which has made my discussions with my life partner and my my parents and my friends so much easier. Could just get their advice without them being biased. That meant a lot to me. Actually, when I started my internship in accounting, which was in a different firm, not in KPG, I'd already been experienced not only in being a waiter, but also a secretary, a typist, a computer teacher, an internal auditor. This was just when I was 25 year old. I, I, I had been working for 10 years that time. Um, so when I joined KPMG, um, I, I wasn't pursuing a long life career in, in, in KPMG. I was just you know, I thought about what I could do that was interesting for me at the time. And, and I started working as an IT auditor um, and in IT advisory. Um, I focused um, slowly. I, I, I found myself focusing mainly in the financial sector. Um, I think in, in, in Israel, probably it's not very different than, than the rest of the world, but that's probably the cutting edge, not only for, for business, but also in terms of technology, definitely at that time. Um, so this was 2002, right? Um, I was promoted very, very quickly to manager. I, I'm a partner at the age of 32. This also formed um, yeah, my, my, my career and just the way that I had experienced everything. Um, and, you know, women, I think all, there's that internal discussion, like, am I worth it? Is this, is this really something that I own, this title, this um, position? So that's always been in the background for me as well, just having made um, those accomplishments uh, at, at such a young age relatively. So I was really focusing on what, on what made me happy and what I realized was a true accomplishment that was building my own team. I was extremely connected to the people I worked with. I had formed amazing relationships and created something that wasn't there. Um, and that also helped me realize my passion 
It was uh, building new practices. It was exploring uncharted territories. Till this day, that's really what makes me excited the most. Um, so when I was asked by the Israeli leadership to take over the technology consulting practice, um, you know, my first instinct was, you know, to hesitate. Basically, I said no. <laughs> um, I, I truly felt like they were making the biggest mistake possible. Um, and, you know, just probably a day later, I was kind of starting to think in my head how I would do it and what was the best way. And I always find I'm in this conflict where I, I feel like I'm not the right person for the job. I can't be appropriate for this job. But at the same time, I'm thinking about how I could, how I could be doing such a, such a great you know, job added and, and how I could be achieving so much more than what we've already done. And that conflict continues to, to live inside of me. So um, the the years since have been super, super interesting. Um, it was it's just the beginning of AI, of data and analytics. And, and um, I had to choose the path for the Israeli firm to go in. Um, and I had at that time explored many paths. I was working with mature tech companies, with startups, um, our own internal teams, and um, we, we explored the ways to do this. This is very interesting. And some of those experiments failed miserably, um, and some succeeded. And um, I think in doing so, I, I think I, I didn't like failing. That's a, terrible, that's a terrible feeling. But I was never upset with myself for failing. The only areas where I was upset with myself is for not trying. So I think that place inside of me that's that driver of saying you have to you have to try and actually in fact i have to say i've learned so much more from my failures from my failures than from the areas i've succeeded in um so basically in the past six years i've transformed the organization really i've led um the market in Israel and in, in AI and data analytics in cloud automation cyber we've opened an R&D um, center in Israel and developed solutions and, and products and and the, the great thing is I've had the privilege to do this with people who are now my best friends and that is that's wonderful for me so I also led innovation for the Israeli firm and I was very, very fortunate to be asked to, to step into the global role of letting innovation, leading innovation for KPMG uh, globally. Thanks, uh, Ronnie, for sharing uh, this, the inside story in such an honest and authentic way. Uh, and, you know, I think as leaders, sometimes, um, you know, sharing our vulnerabilities is probably the the most important and the hardest thing to do, right? You know, as, as you go along the way, there are always moments of um, self-doubt and there are always moments of, uh, I think, being self-critical as well. Uh, and, you know, uh, sort of, uh, but but it's, it's great that I think if I have to sum up what you said, uh, you're saying, uh, you know, try, keep trying, that's important. Uh, second, do your best. Uh, and, and third, and I think most important for anyone who's listening to this podcast is look at failures as um, a platform for learning, right? Because uh, nothing is permanent. It is about what you take from that failure and then get yourself up and keep moving and, you know, just taking the next step forward and trying again. I think that's the most important thing that I would want anyone to take away uh, from this thing. By the way, I will say that is a very, very Israeli thing to, okay. um, to first of all, not to be shy of your failures. Um, there's so many startups in Israel. Um, and in fact, 
Um, I often tell my, well, definitely before COVID, when I had a lot of visitors coming in over from overseas, I would tell them, just note that everyone that you talk to on the street and the cab driver, everyone will have an idea for a startup. This is really true. Uh, and one of my guests actually took me on that and they said, well, I, 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 went, I had a taxi drive this morning and I was talking to the taxi driver. And indeed, he did have an idea for a startup. So everyone has an idea for a startup. And really, it is all about getting the courage to do it. And people are never shy or embarrassed about the fact that they started to, they, they, they started something, an idea, and it failed. They're, they're proud of it. I actually did it. I pursued a dream. It may not have worked out, but that accomplishment of actually trying, that's why I'm, I'm saying, you know, you never regret the failures as much as you regret not even trying. That's wonderful, Ronnie. So that brings us to the end of the first segment. It was a wonderful, interesting and inspiring conversation in more than in more ways than one. So Ronnie, in this next segment, which I call Leadership, Diversity and Inclusion and Skills, we talk unfiltered about leadership, making choices and the skills which are important to lead in today's era. We also talk about ideas on how to build diverse and inclusive organizations, both from your own personal experiences and what you've seen uh, in organizations. So my first question, Ronnie, is that around the global pandemic, which has changed all our lives uh, as individuals, families, communities, businesses, and the world at large. It is also very true and real that working women and mothers have been significantly affected. And hence we hear a lot of the word she session, which is a term used to describe the negative impact of women's participation in the workforce. What are some of your observations and reflections of the situation on the ground that you have encountered in the past 12 to 18 months, specifically in the context of working women? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, and your observation is, is completely accurate. Women have paid a heavy price around the pandemic. Um, and I think it's very evident the she session situation that, that's completely true. But um, you know what? I would like to actually talk about a different aspect that I've, I've really observed with the women that I work with, and that is that um, women are much more aware of what's happening in the household how their, their families being affected, um, their, their, their close family and their uh, more distant family, their, their parents and siblings as well. And I think um, in more aspect than, aspects than others, they, they actually carry that weight as well. Women really feel that they have to, to, to solve all of these problems by themselves. Um, our children have had such a hard time throughout this pandemic, socially, personally, educationally. And most of the women I speak to really carry that weight with them, um, as opposed to many of the men I work with. So think about that situation where you're, um, if you're a working mom, you're actually, you have to work in completely new situations. And possibly in your mind, you carry the weight of how are your children managing? How's your husband, how your parents are feeling? All the, you know, that call it the beehive in your head. Um, that's con constantly buzzing. And I think that has been a huge weight. I know for me, th those were the, the biggest challenges. I mean, for sure, it's difficult to work from a different uh, work area and different conditions. 
but um, I've rarely heard um, discussions from women about not having enough, you know, technology enablement within their houses, et cetera, which I heard a lot of, of the male employees talk about, as opposed to their children and how can they have the time to touch them and to, to see them throughout the day when they're in the same house. Um, I've also observed that women um, who are able to reach out to their friends, to their family, to their community, um, they were able to deal with these complex situations in a much, much better way than, than others. Okay, so what you're saying is it is a reality and, um, you know, our lives have changed. That's one. Uh, it's important to acknowledge it. And uh, then I think the most important thing you're saying is uh, reach out and ask for help, right? Because this is a time where probably you can't deal with uh, the nuances of the complexity uh, in terms of change and, you know, how our operating reality has maybe transformed. So um, reach out for help, ask for help, you know, you know, sort of solve it as a team. Uh, is really, I, I would say um, as a woman who's leader in her organization, I have reached out to other women to see how they're doing. So if you're a leader, do that. And I will also say that at KPMG, we also acknowledge the fact that women are um, a, a strong network when that is set. So we have also created women networks so that they can reach out to each other and help each other and have that just open discussion and dialogue. I think that is very, very helpful. Wonderful. So beyond that, what do you think organizations can do, uh, you know, to support the case and cause of diversity and inclusion within the workplace, right? I mean, you make a great point about us as individual leaders to do what we can, uh, you know, within the sphere of influence, or if, you know, you can reach out to a larger pool of, let's say, women employees in your organization, do that. Uh, but what else can be done in an organization to maybe take a few steps ahead in the positive way towards, you know, creating a better workspace. Yeah, these have been, um, these two years have been, a um, wow, just, just um, unbelievable. And the, the, the different needs and, and issues and topics that we've, we've dealt with and that have come up. And I will say that, that KPMG as an organization um, has, has actually, because diversity and inclusion is such an important thing for, for, for us, we've been taking a very deep look at that. And we have actually noticed that, you know, if we've focused in the past on equality, uh, we've shifted a little bit into looking at creating an equitable work environment. Um, and the fact that, that, you know, our needs as, as people really differ significantly. We really saw that throughout the pandemic. It was very evident that for some people, working from home was terrible. That was devastating. For others, that was that was great. And you know, uh, people with disabilities who had very difficult time times commu commuting or even communicating, and 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 they found themselves being you know more included in in work situations. So. Um, I think really it's all it's all about looking at very specific needs. So you're not really looking at providing the common needs, but ensuring each individual can achieve their own full potential. And I, I think in these times, that is exactly what we're, we're looking at. Um, and, and I think one of the biggest, biggest problems that we've had um, throughout the pandemic is that if you're not there physically, looking at people every day, you know, it really changes the situation. The people who are very vocal, they will continue to be vocal. The people who you just have to look at 
when you cross them through on, you know, when you're walking the corridor or in, in the kitchen. And 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 those those people, they, they won't speak up and you don't see their faces anymore. Again, I think as leaders, you really have to reach out. You really have to make sure that you're touching base with them. But this is also where as an as an organization, organizations really have to think about creating an environment where open communication is um, is something that that's constantly spoken about and encouraged and and in KPMG we, we often talk about speaking up um, and and talking about not only your difficulties but things that bother you the hurdles and and you know I want to get back to to um, to leadership and and you know walking the talk, I think as leaders, if you don't do that exactly, um, you will not be able to to provide that message strong enough. Um, again, you can't. If people are in their houses, you can't meet them physically, and sometimes they would even prefer to have their camera off, and you can't see their faces. But if you share something that's personal, if you talk about your difficulties, the, the, the things that that you were finding hard to deal with. And you know, when I meet with my teams and, and I try to be as authentic as possible, and I could be in a situation where I have a meeting and I say, hey guys, you know, can, can we stop for five minutes? I've had such a difficult day. I had this meeting before. Um, I sensed I was, you know, being uh, maybe um, um, spoken to in, in a way that wasn't uh, that that wasn't uh, respectful enough. I, I, I want to pause. I think that made me feel, you know, um, agitated and nervous, and and I'm I'm feeling a little bit of hurt, a little bit hurt. If you're able as a leader to say that, then you're you, the people that you work with, your environment will really open up to that, and it's amazing that I, I, it truly is magic. I I just had you know. An, a new person working in my close team. She's just started working with me for the past two weeks. And we've just, we've just known each other. She, she, she came into my office yesterday and, um, and I just told her something very personal about my family. And, and I asked her how she was doing. And she started telling me the story about her dad who passed away when she was young. And, and she started crying and she said, I'm sorry. And I told her, no, don't be, this is exact. this is, this is a safe place and you can feel like you can bring your authentic self here. And we sat and we spoke and she laughed out. And, and that makes the discussion just so much more authentic. It is very difficult to hide behind barriers after that. So it doesn't suit everyone. I think you should be very careful and cautious with the way that you talk to people, respect their boundaries, never ask, you know, poking questions, but do provide that space and the best way to do that is provide some of your own experiences and, and insight in a gentle way that's that's respectful of the, the other individual that you're with. That's um, uh, deep, Ronnie. And uh, also, I think uh, very nice that you said that at the end of the day, it finally boils down to uh, forming a real, authentic, um, genuine human connection with people, right? I think that is most important when... Uh, you're trying to build, let's say, an inclusive culture uh, or, you know, trying to kind of embrace diversity within the organization. I think basically what you're saying is respect and accept the differences and then be open to talk about, about the differences and the real experiences which everybody is facing on the ground. So that's a great nugget of 
personal insight, I would say, when you're sharing something that you do. Uh, and it's obviously, you know, help your team. And uh, I think more so because, you know, you are leading um, uh, a very interesting charter, which is around innovation, right? And, you know, obviously innovation needs the work environment and workspace to be more creative, more collaborative. Uh, and, and, you know, some, sometimes just having an environment where people can share exactly what they think uh, makes all the difference. So I think it's great that you're doing that as a leader. Uh, uh, you know, we all know that while organizations can support us as women, it is still for many of us a very personal story on how we navigate work and life and everything else that comes in between. Um, I'm just curious to know that, you know, having been in the industry for so many years, uh, being a mother of two, two boys, how do you manage to navigate between your personal life and professional responsibilities? Um, <laughs> well, I'm sure you've asked this uh, several women in the past. And I will say, I, I've, I speak to many women about this as well. But so instead of giving you a straightforward answer, I will tell you a story, <laughs> if you will. And because this has been um, um, probably um, such a, an important moment in my life. Um, I, I really would like to share it. Um, so at the age of, um, probably I was 34, um, 11 years ago, I was pregnant with my second son. I was already um, a parent to my older son. I uh, made partner a few years before. I was working like crazy. I was managing the whole household, of course. Like you feel that that's something that you have to do as well. And one morning, my husband had already left the house and I was getting my kid prepared for kindergarten and I strained my back. I strained it so bad, I could not move. I just had to lie on the floor on my back. I had immense pain. Um, and I, I was lying there and I was thinking, how am I going to get my kid to kindergarten? How am I going to stand up? I missed so much pain. I was, I was focusing on how am I going to get up? How am I going to drive? How am I going to keep my son safe? And I don't know how long I, I lay there, but um, eventually it kind of dawned to, on me that I could actually call someone to come pick him up. Um, I called a friend. This is, um, this was really the, an, a, a, a wow moment for me. Just having realized I'd been laying there on my back um, for, for 15 or 20 minutes. And it didn't even occur to me that I could just reach out for help. I picked up the phone. I called a friend. She came in, she picked him up to kindergarten and I was still lying there on the floor and I was crying and I was crying because I was, I was, so happy. I was proud of myself because I had managed to pass that hurdle for me, you know, to say, you know, I, I'm not perfect. I need help and I have it. It's right there. I can just reach out and, and, and grab it. And that was, a, that was a huge moment for me. I think um, in that journey for us as women, we, we constantly think we have we have to have superpowers. We're not even allowed to be human. And I think reaching out for help, realizing that's such a good thing. And you know what? It, it's a good thing because when you reach out for help, you also give a signal to your friend. I'm here for you when you need me. So uh, <laughs> it's not a direct answer, but I hope that that gives you some, some kind of idea. No, no, of course. I think it's a very powerful answer, right? Because uh, I know that, you know, even I... I um, explored this whole idea of asking help and actively seeking help when I started my journey as a mother, because it was at that point that I realized that I cannot do everything by myself, right? And uh, it is so true that it takes a village to raise kids. And um, somehow, you know, I think, you know, in we, we, we try to 
um, you know, be independent and we try to kind of do it all and we try to kind of, you know, uh, you know, walk down a path where um, we feel shy of asking for help. And I think, uh, you know, just accepting that you need help and, uh, you know, you know, asking for it, right, is something which many of us find very hard. So I think it's great that you learned that 11 years ago, and I'm sure you've enhanced that <laughs> skill uh, you know, sure. about uh, over the last 11 years, because um, I'm currently doing uh, a series on LinkedIn where, I, you know, the whole series about is about lessons of life, which no school really teaches you. Uh, and one of those has which I have posted about is how to ask for help, because, uh, you know, I, I think that is an important life lesson that we all need to learn. Right. Uh, yeah. So, so, so coming to lessons and, you know, just building on that a little bit, taking it to the context of skills. Um, what do you feel are some of the important skills that, you know, let's say specifically women leaders need to consciously develop over their career? Um, and I know some women say that there's nothing specific, you know, that is, is very relevant for women and these are all leadership skills. So I let you decide how you want to answer that. Yeah. But the most yeah. important thing is, uh, you know, what are the skills that we need to develop consciously as we grow up the corporate ladder? Yeah, that's, um, that is a wonderful question. I think because we are so different, right? Nothing really just defines us just as being women, but there is a common uh, theme. So I would say, um, as a woman, first of all, you have to really work on your strengths. That's probably true for, for every human being. Um, but I will also say that for specifically for women, because we tend Oftentimes we will tend to, to just lower the volume of our inner voice and that, 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 that thing that tells us what's right to do. And sometimes we overcompensate it because we know that that's what's happening. So we actually don't listen outside. So I would say if there's one um, critical skill, I would say stop and listen. So listen clearly to whoever's talking to you. They might have something super intelligent to say. And then listen to yourself and try to never forget which voice which voice is which, right? Don't get confused. That's a good one, uh, Ronnie, listening, right? Uh, and uh, I just feel like, you know, the word needs a lot more listeners, as I call it. <laughs> and not just not just in the context of the workplace, but even in the context of our personal lives, because, uh, you know, you know, even as parents, like I know my kids tell me, hey, can you just listen to me? And that's when I have to press pause and say, OK, you know, I need to just actively listen uh, to what, you know, they have to say. So that's a that's a good one to end the segment with, Ronnie. Thank you so much for these wonderful nuggets of wisdom from your professional work and journey and experiences. The last uh, segment is the the what I call the rapid fire, the fun W's, uh, in which we want to hear quick and quirky responses from you, Ronnie. So are you ready? Yeah, sure. Wonderful. Um, so the first question is, why do you think women should have girlfriends? Oh, wow. Um, for me, girlfriends are just a matter of uh, being healthy. <laughs> it's just my health. What, what helps me, you know, breathe and stay sane and stay happy and get as many as you possibly can and keep them very close to yourself. Wonderful. Who do you first call when you have a moment of success? And who do you call when everything goes wrong? Uh, I'll, I'll say, unfortunately, I don't celebrate a lot of my success, my successes. Um, but I will say my husband, he will truly know to appreciate what that means um, and what that means to me. Um, 
And and in terms of uh, failures, probably well, I, I I've learned so much to to just be so much more open about that and, and consult with people. So I will I'll have a list of people. I'll call my sister, my brother, my mom, my dad, my friends. It's, I've really learned learned to do that really well. Wonderful, wonderful. I think you're the only person who's had more people to call when a moment of <laughs> a moment of failure. <laughs> this is uh, this that's is really what's helped my journey, frankly. Uh, Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. When did you last say a prayer and why? Oh my God. I, I, I say prayer every time my, my young son coughs or sneezes because he's asthmatic and I tend to be very hysterical about his health. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand the maternal instinct right over there. Um, uh, my next question is which celebrity alive would you like to meet given a chance? Oh, the celebrity question. Well, probably one of my favorite authors, um, either Margaret Atwood or Haruki Murakami, or maybe these days I would actually say maybe Billie Eilish, because I've been listening to so much of her music together with my son. And, and uh, I've really learned to, to um, you know, admire her path in life. So I will go for that. Wonderful. My last question and something which I'm really curious to know is if you were invited to give a Harvard commencement speech, what are the three messages that you'd leave the graduating class with? Oh, wow. Um, I'd be thrilled and honored. I'd, uh, just if anyone <laughs> from Harvard is listening. Um, so I will say the first thing is, and I'm sorry if this sounds like a cliche, but always be true to yourself. Just, you know, it brings you so much happiness. And, and that is the first thing. Um, second is Inspiration is everywhere. Open your eyes, um, look for it, find it. Um, and the third one is a great piece of advice I got um, a long time ago when I had uh, this um, um, person who was coaching me throughout my career. And she told me, you know, never take yourself too seriously. And that has been such an amazing piece of advice. I go back to that again and again, especially when I criticize myself too much, but just in general, I think that's a great piece of advice. That's wonderful, Ronnie. I'm sure anyone who's heard this podcast will go back with some nugget of wisdom, some life lesson, something for them to think about, or just a smile on their face. Thank you so much for your time. It was absolutely wonderful doing this podcast with you, Ronnie. Appreciate it. Thank you.